flip over to the New Testament, Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1. Again, this is where we have been in our sermon series for the past number of weeks, coming now to the third sermon on the qualification of church officers. Specifically this morning, it will be towards the elders. I want to read verses 5 through 9, yet again focusing on verse 9. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, focusing this morning on verse 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer is God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may by or may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Well, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, if you've been with us any time the past number of weeks, as we've been looking at the qualifications for eldership uh, within the life of the church, We've been applying it uh, some to the office of deacon as well, where appropriate, but this morning we are looking specifically at the office of an elder, because here it is that we have the guarding of the pulpit, the preaching, the teaching here of the local church, that the elder must have a proven conviction concerning. He must have a proven conviction concerning biblical authority within the life of the church. But before we can even get there, we have to understand something that was mentioned last week is that when we look at these qualifications for eldership, if we look at these qualifications that are spelled out for us for church officers, we really are setting the bar for what our members are trying to imitate. We mentioned last week that great call of the Apostle Paul, imitate me as I imitate Jesus or imitate me as I imitate Christ so that we might pursue Christ-likeness together. And we even said last week that the Christ-likeness or the righteousness or the holiness of the local church rarely surpasses that of the leadership. And so as Paul is commanding Titus to go out through the cities of the island of Crete and to appoint elders in every church, in every city, he's told us repeatedly now that we are not to just appoint any man. We're not even to appoint just any man who desires the office, but he must, he must come into accord. He must line up with the qualifications that are appointed here in God's holy word. And the reason in which Paul so intentionally goes about listing this exhaustive list of qualifications for church officers, specifically for church elders, is because he wants them to be worthy of imitation. He wants them to be worthy of imitation. And he also wants them, as it 
ties so rightly here into verse 9. He wants their teaching, he wants their preaching, he wants the pulpit ministry to match the lifestyle in which they are living. He does not want God's leaders in the local church to be hypocrites. You see, what God is establishing here through His Word is that He has decreed an ends, but He also decrees the means. You see, He he holds in highest esteem His Word being held firmly to, being courageously preached. He, He holds in high esteem His Word being what is sent forth into the local church so that the people of God might grow in Christ-likeness and in sound doctrine. And he holds in high esteem his word being the tool. Or maybe we better would say the weapon in which we get to rebuke those who contradict it. But first and foremost, before we can even get to the word, we need the men who are going to proclaim the word. We need the men who are going to guard the word, to hold fast to the word. Just as our catechism says, it's through the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word that sinners are saved and believers are sanctified. We must have men who are qualified now carrying forth that Word, guarding the pulpit of the local church, carrying the good news, preaching the Gospel, teaching the Gospel, proclaiming the Gospel, so that the ends might now match the means and that the means might match the ends. We need men who are going to profess Christ, teach Christ, proclaim Christ with their lips. But we also need men who are walking step in step with Jesus. And so we're actually getting to, in verse 9, why these character qualifications are so important. These qualifications are the means to the end. These men must be all of these qualifications, all 16 of them listed here in verses 5 through 9, so that they might be right carriers and proclaimers of God's Word. And so as we focus upon this last qualification that an elder must have a proven conviction concerning biblical authority, I want you to look at the very first part of verse 9. Remember, we're going to handle or exposit this single verse for uh, us this morning. And so it says that he, speaking of the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Now many scholars, and I think I I agree uh, with their ideology here, that verse 9 and verse 7 actually very intimately tie together. That almost, as we look at verse 7, where it says, For an overseer or an elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach, we should really see the rest of verse 7 and verse 8 almost in parentheses. Because to be the steward of God, we said this even a couple of weeks ago, that we are called as elders to be stewards of the gospel. And that means not only do we affirm in a PCA church that we have teaching elders like myself and Pastor Don who are called by the congregation to preach and to teach primarily, that is our role, but 
but also we elect from amongst ourselves ruling elders who will help us to guard the pulpit. You see, it's the elder's responsibility to call us down, you might say, if we begin to stray away from what God's Word has so clearly said. And it would be right and it would be appropriate. It's their duty to do so. And so we have to have elders, yes, teaching, who have been seminary trained and examined by presbyteries, but we also must have ruling elders who hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. This idea of being stewards of God tied directly into holding firm to that trustworthy word as taught. And so as we look at all the characteristics and all these qualifications that even come between verse 7 and verse 9, they're all of utmost importance, but they're all the means to the end that we want men who are walking step in step with Jesus to be those who are guarding the pulpit, to be those who are preaching and teaching. And so even when Paul writes to Timothy the qualifications of an elder, he says that they must be able to teach. They must be able to guard the pulpit. And all of this goes back to, ties into, that they must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. You know, this idea of the holding fast or or holding firmly to God's word, this trustworthy word as taught, has this connotation or the illustration that they are gripping it with with white knuckles they refuse to let go the way that he handles the word cannot have any sort of distraction of unchristian character that marks his life nor can it be that he dwells or delves into philosophies or ideologies of the world when trying to guard the people of God and rightly instruct them, and then also contradicting or rebuking those who contradict it, contradicting these false teachers with a proper word from the Lord. You know, what one commentator said when he begins to unpack this idea of holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught, he says... He does not let himself be moved from thus saith the Lord. Every counseling session, every Sunday school class, every time he steps in the pulpit, every session meeting, every argument, every debate that he attends presbytery or even debates within the session meeting room, every issue that the church faces the elder's response must be first and primarily, well, what do the Scriptures teach regarding this matter? And that's where he holds himself. In everything that the church does and that everything the church is, it is guided and and regulated by the Word of God. From the smallest of things to the greatest of things. And so the elder must have a a deep conviction concerning the authority of the Scriptures. The elders' preaching and teaching ministry is marked by a 
a resoluteness, a seriousness, a conviction, a, a resolve that, that holds fast to the Word of God as the final authority for all doctrine, all practice, for every dispute or issue. And, and that phrase continues on here in verse 9 as he says, not just holding fast to the trustworthy Word, but holding fast to the trustworthy Word as taught. Now, if you're using a, a new King James or a King James, it might say something like, which is in accordance with the teaching. I'm a little disappointed with how the ESV translates it here. I think the, the King James Version gets it more appropriate to what the Apostle Paul is, is, trying, to, is trying to establish. He's saying this trustworthy word has been handed down to us from generations. The same gospel that's being proclaimed has been proclaimed all the way back from Genesis 3. And we have heard it ourselves from the apostles' teaching. And Titus, you have heard it yourself from my teaching. It is nothing new and nothing novel, but this is the Word of God handed down from the generations of the saints. And so not only must we be a, a, a people as a session as elders of the church that are thus saith the Lord, but we must only be those men who are men that say just saith the Lord or thus saith the Lord. Because we know something about men, don't we? Men are sinful. Councils of men are feeble and frail. We're liable to make mistakes and therefore what the Apostle Paul is saying is, Titus, there's going to be those around you who are preaching something new, something novel, something different than what you've heard from me and what I've heard from the apostles and, and what has been handed down to us from Jesus Christ Himself. And we know the ministry of Jesus Christ Himself is an exposition, really, of the Old Testament. And so what we have heard, what we have heard taught, the teaching, the faith, is must be... That must be what you hold fast to. It is what Jude 3, or 1 3 says, isn't it? Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, the same gospel, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly. That same idea of holding firm or holding fastly. Contend earnestly for, there's a definite article, the faith. As taught, the teaching. And so the elder must be men who do not veer off from the Word of God as it's been handed down to the saints. It must be, it must be rooted. Rooted in the testing of time so that we have within ourselves the Word of God and the commentary on the Word of God that has been so diligently put before us. That's why it's so good that we can be confessional Presbyterians, isn't it? That as we think about the systematic understanding of Scripture, as we think about our holy doctrines, as we think about our practices even, we don't have to be inventive. We don't have to use our imaginations. But we get, to, we get to stand upon the shoulders of giants and we can say the same gospel in which 
Paul preached is the same gospel that I'm going to preach. And the same gospel that I'm going to preach, Lord willing, will be the same gospel that's preached here for a hundred years later within this same pulpit. You know, one of the things that an elder must be about is courageous devotion to biblical preaching. And that ties right into this idea of the word as taught or in accordance to the faith or the teaching. Because what's happened in the evangelical world today, I'll try not to name names here, but what's happened in the evangelical world today is that many false teachers are, are coming forth in a lot of these megachurches even, and they're preaching a new gospel. They're, they're preaching novel ideas. They're doing inerrant practices. And it's not rooted in anything in history. And they're saying, well, the Word of God must catch up. The Word of God must now bend towards the understanding of our culture. We're more sophisticated than they were back then. We're more knowledgeable or understanding than they were back then. And so the Word of God has to be manipulated, contextualized to to fit into what we have today in our society. And, And beloved... We cannot call the Word the trustworthy Word if we have to manipulate it to fit any sort of agenda or any sort of culture. What we understand here is that the the courageous preaching of the saints before us is the courageous preaching of the saints today, which will be the courageous preaching of the next generation of pastors and ruling elders that will come. You know, one of the things that that one of my seminary professors challenged me with is he says, never preach a sermon that won't last you 70 years. And of course, I had to think about that for a minute. But he says, if you were to watch yourself preach 70 years from today, would your message still be relevant? Would your gospel presentation still be true? Would would your exposition of, of what is being said here within... Titus chapter 1, verse 9, would it still hold water 70 years from now? And that must be what we're about. Courageous biblical preaching, no matter what the society's saying, no matter what the culture's trying to manipulate us to be, we'll stand firm upon the Word of God, the gospel message that's been handed down to the saints. And so, you know, Lord willing, if someone stumbles upon my sermon 70 or 100 years from now, It won't be trendy, but it will be true. It won't fade away, but it will be faithful. You see, the the elder must be courageous in his devotion to, to biblical preaching. That is his context. What does the Word of God say? He must hold fast to the faith. That is, the faithful Word which was given, handed over to the saints not coming up with new and novel things, but preaching the Word as as it's been established and given to us by a sovereign Lord. And you notice that this Word, this trustworthy Word as taught, does two things. It has two parts within the life of the church. The first part is that it is able to give instruction in sound doctrine. It, It feeds the sheep. It builds up the flock. The session a few years ago read a book called The Shepherd Leader by a guy named Timothy Whitmer. It's, it's 
how we try to base our shepherding model here at First Pres, and it says that the elder has five duties. The first one is we must know the sheep. We have to know the people in which we lead and serve. But the second one is we must feed them. We must train them up in, in sound doctrine. And so the first purpose of the Word of God as taught within the local church is to exhort the sheep. Exhort the sheep to live unto Christ's likeness. Now again, that's why this, these, these qualifications or these characteristics of the elder or the church officer are so important in, in verses 5 through 8. Because we, we have to understand that the, that the word that, that challenges us and calls us to live a life of holiness and blessedness is the way that our church officers ought to be living. Are they perfect? No. But they are sinners who are striving for godliness. Sinners who are striving to live uh, step in step with Jesus. They are worthy, again, we're going to repeat this, they are worthy of our imitation. And so their lives and their proclamation of the Word now instructs in sound doctrine. It's building up the sheep. It's using the Word of God to exhort in sound doctrine. It is you know what you believe, why you believe it, and you know that all doctrine then turns to doxology. In fact, the way in which the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1 as he talks about how he strives to present believers mature in Christ Jesus, he actually says that the more that we know of God, the more that we are taught of God, the more doxology that will ring from our lips. And so he says to build up the church, we must be building them up in the maturity of their faith. They must know what we believe, why we believe it. They must know how that changes their life. They, they have to answer the so what question. And so here it is that, that the building up of the sheep is the first work of the elder. This idea of giving instruction is actually quite a phenomena in the Greek language. Because Paul uses a word that means exhort in the way that he uses it. But it's also the name of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. This idea of a paraclete or parakletos, as the Greek language would say it in this specific verse. And so he's saying the first bit of the elder's responsibility is to come alongside in sound doctrine so that we might march in lockstep with the elder's as they march in lockstep with Jesus all for the glory of God. And then this sound doctrine is actually, if we were to scratch at the Greek language, it's this idea of, of hygiene. It's not pronounced exactly like that, but very close. That, that Paul's establishing this idea that, that good gospel preaching, good biblical instruction will create healthy churches. Weak preaching will, will, will produce sickly churches. It's remarkable what he does with the Greek language there. 
And so it must be sound doctrine. It must be sound doctrine. But also you notice, and I know I'm running short on time here, but it must be the second part is this, that this word becomes a weapon almost to rebuke those who contradict it. You see, the, the picture should be in our head of the shepherd with his rod and his staff, right? As elders or under-shepherds of the great shepherd Jesus Christ, they are, now, they are now to be those who guide the people of God by streams of living water. They are to be those who walk amongst uh, the valleys of the shadow of death with the people. They are to be those who, who guard and protect them from the enemy that abounds within our culture and even within the church. And so that picture of the rod and staff, yes, kind of gently guiding the sheep to the greenest of pastures and, and the, the cleanest of waters, but also to beat down the wolves when they come into the sheepfold. In fact, the way that Paul, again, writes this word rebuke, our English language seems to, to clean it up. It's not just uh, stop doing that. It's a, a beating down, if you will. It, it's revealing the false doctrine, but also bringing the false teacher to shame and saying you are not to teach those things. You are not to proclaim those things within the local church. You will not lead the people of God astray. It is a public display, you might say, to point to a false teacher and you are to say to them as, as godly elders, this is a false teacher. Do not listen to him. And you must explain why they are teaching something contrary to sound doctrine. The way that Paul writes it here is not... Is not gentle by any means. He actually uses some of the same language that he writes in Colossians 3 when he's telling us to put to death sin in our life. Go to war against sin in our life. He is saying, go to war against those who contradict the gospel. As it's been handed down by the apostles. As it's been handed down by Christ Himself. If it doesn't match a chapter and a verse, get it out of your church at all cost and here's why he does such a thing because he knows that titus is going to take the word of god into these rambunctious and and sinful cities and he is going to be tempted to just appoint any men who sound holy who sound religious but but titus must be he must be the pastor who will judge the men's teaching by the Word. And if it doesn't match the Word of God, it must get out of the church. It must be rebuked. It must be refuted. It must be beat down. And so in effect, the pastor must have really two voices here. He preaches the Word that was once for all given to the saints so that he can train up, give instruction and sound doctrine to the sheep. And then the other voice is to drive out the false teachers. 
That's what the faithful shepherd does. That's what the faithful elder does. It sees the power and the authority of God's Word is sufficient to build up the church and to break down the stubborn opposition. And so he must have, he must have a deep conviction, a proven conviction concerning biblical authority. Because, quite frankly, elders in today's church have the same issues as elders in the churches of Crete with Titus. And so to be elder material, we must have men who hold fast to the teaching that's established in God's Word. They must be able to proclaim it in such a way that it builds up the people of God and they must be able to use it in such a way that they are able to rebuke those who contradict it. Competent leadership within the church will have all of these qualifications that are for us in verses 5 through 8 and then their lives will match their proclamation of the Word. And then they will be able to go into a sin-filled world. And those churches will be the ones that will make an impact for the kingdom of Christ. You know, at the very beginning of chapter 1, when we introduced these uh, sets of sermons, we said, what is the church to do in a sin-filled culture? Well, Paul says we're to appoint men who have a proven conviction that the Bible is God's holy word. And their lives will be patterned after what God's Word has said. And they will be knowledgeable enough in it so that they might teach those within the church and rebuke those who contradict it. And so whether we're in Crete or in Dillon, South Carolina, the elder must have a resolve when it comes time to take the settled truth of God's Word, to teach it patiently to the sheep, and to beat out the wolves who seek to put the sheep to harm. But here's why we do it. The Lord has promised to bless it and to use it for His glory and the advancement of His kingdom. And we pray those things would be true here at First Prayers. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, we do thank You for the opportunity to come to this singular verse in Titus. And Lord, we pray... Uh, that the elders of this church would have a, a committed and a proven resolve to uphold the Word of God. That they would have a proven resolve to guard the pulpit of this church so that as we live our lives, our lives will be regulated by the Word. As we worship together in the splendor of holiness, our worship will be regulated by the Word. That our families will be driven by the Word that our church would be so founded upon the Word of God that we cannot help but to share it with the lost and dying world around us. And so, Lord, let us take a great resolve to have a deep affection, appreciation, a sincere infatuation with this holy Word in which You've given. Let us long for it day by day within our homes. Let us long for it, long to sit underneath it as it's read and preached on the Lord's day, so that we might rightly be built up in sound doctrine, built up in the faith that's been handed down to us. And may, Lord, this Word be used to 
to beat out the wolves that might be amongst us. To stand firm against the culture that attempts to blow us to and fro. Let us be a people who always are looking for the chapter and the verse for every situation in life. Let us be a people who do not move from a thus saith the Lord. For you have spoken to us. You have taught us about yourselves, ourselves. You have taught us how to live. You've taught us the way to salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And let that be the foundation of all things that go on here, First Presbyterian. And let that be the foundation of every family and individual here. Let this be the day of salvation for those who do not belong to you. May they see their sinfulness and turn to a right understanding of Christ. And may, Lord, you continue to sanctify believers by your word and spirit. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.